Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm Josh Domingo, lead faculty and client manager of Influential You, and your co-host for this weekly podcast, especially for the next month, as John is in France and England rubbing it in. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we've helped thousands of business owners executives and entrepreneurs become more influential, more rewarded, and more you. Today, I'm really excited because we're speaking with Sean Gillespie. Sean is a really good friend and an award-winning sculptor who illuminates the innate beauty of wood. Sean is a great example of a solopreneur who found new freedom, productivity, and big financial wins by putting together an effective team. You're going to want to sit here and watch this the whole way because this is going to be a good interview. He's completed the Fundamentals of Transaction Program, Mechanics and Practice, Mechanics and Practice 2, the Priority and Practice Program, and is an esteemed alumni and a powerful advocate for our studies. He's been on the podcast before, but his new lessons that he's learned and is back to share his big old brain with us. Sean lives in Colorado, and you can find out more about him and his art by going to soulfulobjects.com. Welcoming to the podcast, Sean Gillespie. Sean, how are you? Oh my gosh, Josh. Hello. It is it's so, so good to see you. Did that, did that feel good? That's, that's what I do for everybody. I make them feel good at the beginning. Oh, what an intro. My big brain is here. <laughs> well, Sean, we're so glad. I'm glad you're here. I've been waiting a while to get you on the podcast. Uh, but before we even begin, let's talk about soulfulobjects.com. Let's talk about your company. Tell me more about the art that you make using wood. Yeah, well, I was originally trained as a graphic designer. So that was uh, what my degree was in. And I was bored out of my mind as a graphic designer. Uh, because, you know, you just end up with a piece of paper with some cool stuff on it at the end of the day. Uh, and I happened to run into a, a woodworking college in when I was in Santa Fe. And I started taking a class just for fun. And as soon as I got in there with the machines and the different woods and, you know, the noise and like all that, it was amazing. So I knew I was hooked, uh, but it took me a while to get to the sculptural realm. Still, I was uh, making, you know, sculptural furniture for a long time. And then uh, the pieces of the furniture started to get way more interesting to me than the, the furniture itself. And my furniture was already pretty not... Uh, uh, wasn't very useful necessarily because there's lots of curves, lots of shapes. So your wine glass would maybe kind of slip off of it. So it was a very natural transition into the sculpture. And that's where I really started to get traction and, uh, you know, started selling, uh, you know, selling work, which was very exciting for me. Wow. Now, uh, Tihi, I don't know if you were able to finagle it or make it work, but we've got some photos of kind of some of your artwork. And so we're going to look at that now. Oh and Sean, as you see it, tell us a little bit about the art pieces and kind of I'd love to hear it through the artist's voice. Uh, tell me what, tell me what's going on here. Well, what you're seeing here is a lot of abstract contemporary sculptures. Uh, so wood and metal is, is my medium. These are mostly wood. Uh, and these are some of the first pieces that, you know, I, I had ever worked on. So that's why I included uh, these um, because, you know, I was working with, you know, slicing through things and burning things and texture and, you know, form and shape. 
And, you know, as breaking a lot of the rules that traditional furniture uh, makers were supposed to stay in this particular lane. Uh, and, you know, everything's polished and smooth and, and, you know, quite beautiful. But I was always way more interested in the texture and in the, like the fidelity of a surface. Like, what does that feel like? What does it look like it feels like? You know, what does that rhythm make you experience? You know, how, when do you break the rhythm of, of a particular shape or of a particular pattern? And what does that do? So that was always the, you know, the kind of the playground for me is just figuring all of that out to get a particular feel or a particular mood into each piece. Wow. And I feel very um, kind of kind of embarrassed to say this story, but when we were introduced to each other, uh, yeah. Dr. Kira Gaunt said, you need to meet Sean Gillespie. And Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but she said, you need to meet him because he's an artist. And I went, oh, I'm just a songwriter. That's that's not that's not art. That's different. Yeah. Uh, and so it's fun for me to kind of be able to play with that art side and the business side. I imagine that's something that you're enjoying as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, one of the key things that made business possible for me, because one of the reasons I think a lot of artists get into the art realm is because they think they uh, stink at business. And uh, and one of the things that I finally realized was I was always had a business, you know, and, and so you kind of have to deal with it. But then you could bring the same creativity that, you know, I, I bring to the artwork. You can bring that to the, you know, to the business. So it's like my spreadsheets have lots of colors on them and lots of pretty things. And right. So it's just I really can bring that creativity. You know, my calendars, you know, like my workouts and stuff are, you know, called hard to kill, you know, things like, you know, things like that. Right. So it's just, you know, having fun with all these things and not taking everything too seriously and, you know, letting other people worry about the significance of the numbers. I just got to record them. I love that. And, and, a, and a quick shout out uh, to Troy Frost for the hard to kill. <laughs> yeah. Probably just got a good chuckle out of that. Um, now, tell us about life before fundamentals of transaction. Think back a few years ago. You've been studying with us for a while. If you can. Over eight years. Yeah. How, how long was it? Over eight years now. Yep. So you doubled my age here. So tell me a little bit about what it was like at the beginning. Hey, I need fundamentals of transaction. What was what was the world like before before you started studying with us? Yeah, I would say I just kept having the same problems over and over and over again. And it seemed like this chronic uh, problem of, you know, income fluctuations and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the same fires I was putting out and then reigniting. And, uh, and it just seemed like kind of a Groundhog Day kind of experience. And I really couldn't figure out what the problem was, but I was sure it was me. And I was sure it was I was not doing something right, <laughs> which, of course, is not very useful. Uh, but, you know, so it was just like, you know, again, it was just it was a it was a plateau that I had reached that I hadn't quite distinguished as a plateau. I had just distinguished it as as a problem with me being lazy or not having the right ideas or, you know, whatever I could come up with that week to figure out why I was continually having the same kind of uh, the same experience of dissatisfaction and and you know, it's, it's my, it's my love. Right. So why was I experiencing this, this dissatisfaction with the business? Well, when they say do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life as an artist myself, that's bullshit. I mean, yeah. how many things do we have to do? That's not our art, right? It's like a lot of work. The, the booking, the selling the, I mean, so what part of it was the most, I guess, uh, dissatisfactory. You were like, this isn't satisfying. Was it the money that was coming in? Was it the respect you were getting? Was it the if I remember right, in your podcast, you talk about the indifference people were showing towards your art. What yeah. was what was like not satisfying about all those things? 
Well, there was just a level of income that just I never seemed to really be able to break past, mm -hmm. uh, no matter how much I would work. So it's like the, the money would go up, but then the amount of money it took me to make that amount of money went up. <laughs> so it just never yeah. seemed like there was an end to, uh, to you know, the future that I, I really wanted to have. Uh, of course, there was a little bit of notoriety that I would have appreciated as well, but I was just working really, really hard uh, for... Um, for arguably, you know, tough gains, you know, everything was felt like it was hard fought. Got it. So you were looking for maybe a little bit more of an easier way to do your business. Maybe some, I, I like how Tyson said it a few weeks ago, a cheat code, if you will, for your business. Is that what you found in FOT? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, at first I found a lot of ba more bad news. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I discovered math and uh, and that, you know, if I had aims for retirement and things like that, like they ask all kinds of uncomfortable questions like when are you, know, when are you going to retire? Uh, how long do you think you'll live? Uh, you know, how much money is it going to take for you to retire? And like all of those things I had not really considered in any real way before. And when I did that math, uh, it kind of confirmed what I was concerned about in the first place that I was, uh, at least I felt like I was way behind. Mm. Yeah. So and it was all bad news. <laughs> it was just kind of like, I, I call it the session three blues. Cause we, yeah. John likes to say, we Fair. don't like it to make you feel bad. We want to make you feel really bad. So you make some changes. <laughs> Sounds like you got, you felt really bad. Yeah. Yeah. The experience was all bad news and, and I wasn't even really sure what to do about it. So it was like that kind of despair that, uh, seems seems like it's going to go on forever. Is this a great sales pitch for FOT? Do you like? No, this, this is exactly what I. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, I don't know. This is everyone's experience, but it certainly was mine. It was, it, you know, it was bad news. Uh, but you know, I just stayed on the ride, as they say, and uh, yeah, and it yeah. and it does it does turn out, but it it takes takes a bit. So you're in the fundamentals transaction program. You continue to study with us. You probably got some takeaways, some things you learned. But then you continued in the mechanics and practice in the mechanics and practice too, and even esteemed alumni. And I've heard rumors that you also help a lot in priority and practice. What is it doing that is keeping you around? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that there's two things. Uh, one is, is the, is the impact of the study. Mm -hmm. uh, like I had read a lot of books and a lot of, you know, self-help books and business books and money books and, all of these things, but I, and I would read through them once and I would think, well, okay, now I've got that information as if I was some computer assimilating, uh, assimilating the information rather than studying it. So there's, uh, you know, there's a particular style inside of influential you, which is study. And so you actually study a book. You don't just read through it and go, yep. Okay, great. <laughs> it's like, what are the things that are kind of, you know, worth something inside this? So study is, is one big thing. Uh, and the other thing uh, is the ecology itself. So there are people that uh, have way more notoriety, uh, make way more money than me, have way smarter than me, like, you know, all kinds of people. And then there's people I can contribute to as well inside the ecology. So there's this uh, co-constitutive nature, I would say, where it's just like everybody uh, contributes and sees that, you know, when somebody else is doing well, there's another opportunity for you to do well. Mm. So that ecology itself is the other thing that really keeps me keeps me engaged and keeps me in it yeah and it's it's really good i'm glad that you said that because that's part of what we're going to be talking about a little bit today um based on the notes that you sent me you started to realize maybe your idea wasn't the best idea maybe you didn't have to do it all yourself and yeah. according to the notes that i have even assembled a team 
let's just start with how long did it take you to assemble a team? Uh, you mean from the beginning of my study to the beginning of assembling a team? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I believe I the fifth on this particular. No, it took me a long time. I mean, I am uh, very much a solo minded person. And so I even was doing a lot of the courses to kind of uh, tell one of myself is to be able to impersonate the other personalities enough to be able to continue to do things by myself. So I was really trying to, to not be involved with other people uh, because, you know, I'm really attached to my ideas. I didn't really want my ideas tested uh, by actual facts and implementation. <laughs> I just like them being great ideas. And, uh, you know, and so, yeah, a team I, I resisted for a, a good long time. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to assume that a good long time is out of studying with us for eight years. It, it, seven years is a good guess. Seven <laughs> and a half. Like, you I would say a, good, a good five years. Five but years. You know, okay. So, yeah, yeah. so five years, you're fighting this whole team going on. Let's yeah. start with this. What even started the concept of you needing a team or because I, I know that you were taught it, but when did you start to go, okay, I really need a team? What was that aha moment? Well, there was there was one in particular moment where I was doing an installation in Ventura <laughs> and I had a, a, a person, we'll call him Bob, uh, that was uh, on the phone. So I was doing an installation there, but then there was also an employee of, uh, of Influential U and they were making calls at the same time I was doing the installation and they would make a call and, you know, and it, I mean, it didn't sound like it was going poorly, but it didn't sound like it was going particularly well, but they would just make a call and then they would make another call and then they would make another call and then they would have a conversation and then they would make another call and then they would make another call. And, and it was that kind of more um, kind of a, a you know, like that sales position, which I also had, but I realized in that moment that there was a particular type of personality that I was never going to be able to duplicate myself. I would always be unreliable for that particular activity because I would get one no and I am now, uh, you know, going to sleep for a month and a half to recover <laughs> from the no that I just got because it's such a blow to my ego, right? Hmm. So I, I I was never going to be able to operate like that. And I really saw that that, you know, what we would call a performer, I really saw that that personality had a particular set of gifts that uh, I just did not possess and was not going to be. I could force it for short periods of time, but that was just not something I was good at. Uh, and it really started to dawn on me like, oh, I, I actually think that I'm removing value from my transactions by trying to do all this stuff myself. And uh, that it was not only detrimental to the business, but it, it actually went against my ethics in, a, in an odd way. Mm. Tell me more about how it went against your ethics. Um, I mean, the whole reason I'm in the art world is to kind of interrupt uh, things for people and uh, empower people, you know, in, in their in their lives, in their environments, in their day to day. Um, and by not allowing people to contribute to me in the ways that they were built for, uh, it, it just really didn't work for me. It didn't work for, uh, you know, for just just general logistics and stuff, but it just didn't work for me in my, you know, of being this creative person and wanting to empower people. Yeah. Now, as we teach it, there are four personalities and you yeah. are, which, which personality do you? I am inventor. Inventor. So subjectivist worldview, idea-based, a lot of entrepreneurs, five years in the future. 
Yep. What we're talking about is a performer. I know this because Bob's name is Josh D'Amigo. And yes, Bob, has been outed. Oh my god. A lot of people do say no to me. Uh, I will say there's also the producer and the judge. Now, yep. you said that wasn't fulfilling. I, I got the opportunity to actually go on a trip and sell with our company's judge. And he was amazing. And he turned on the charm like you've never seen it. And I mean, people were loving him. And he was yeah. so exhausted at the end of every single day because it's just not his natural skill set. Yeah. Is that similar to how it felt for you? Yeah, I was exhausted. I was exhausted all the time. And and quite frankly, the work you know wasn't as good because of that exhaustion. If I'm having to do hotel reservations or you know, answer all these emails to make sure people are going to be there at the show and like do all these things, then I'm really not free to just create. I've got to actually stop what I'm doing, go handle whatever it is that I've got to handle, and then go back and try to regain whatever momentum and stuff that I had. And this is where I got that whole thing where I was lazy because no, it was just like I was constantly interrupted in the idea of re-engaging myself and getting that level of excitement back up again. It was just so difficult. I, I was really... Uh, uh, like, you know, operating with one hand behind my back. It was, it was not, not beneficial. Yeah. So you realize you need a team. Yes. You start to find this team and had you, had you ever had a team for you before? Had you always been someone who did it all himself? Did you ever <laughs> always. Have... Yeah, did <laughs> always you ever have by myself. Very entrepreneurial, tons of different businesses, thoughts, ideas, trying things, jumping for things, but always, always by myself. And I've, I've spoken with a lot of entrepreneurs at this point that go, oh, Josh, you don't understand. I could never get help. Like, I don't have the budget. Like, I can't hire anyone. Yeah. How in the world were you? I mean, and don't get me wrong. You're an artist. And unless you're selling your stuff for like bajillions of dollars, which you, you might be. Oh, um, we're on our can, way. We're on okay, way. good. It can get expensive pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, now when they, you know, music, you sell it for 99 cents, a buck 29 on iTunes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But in your world, it's, it's a little bit more subjective as far as the cost and things like that. So how in the world were you able to get a team? Like, what did you do in order to get this team together? Yeah. I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the kind of obvious things that we did too was, was raise prices, but that was not really the, that was not really the thing. Uh, the thing was, I mean, part of what influence, I mean, I'm sorry, influential you offers is, is this you know, environment of great people. So through the conversations and things I would have at conferences and, you know, I was on panels at conferences and things like that. And people be, you know, asking me about, oh, wow, tell me about selling art. What's that like? You know? Um, and that's how I actually met Jeff originally. He stopped me after, after the, uh, after the panel and was like, wow, cause I sell, you know, technology, but man, it would be so cool to sell, uh, to sell art. I mean, that seems so fulfilling. And I was like, yeah, it is. And then I just let, <laughs> you know, I just completely dropped the whole conversation. And then the next day I was like, oh my gosh, I am an idiot because here's a person telling me that they would love more information about what it would be like to sell art. And I'm like, just taking it like, yeah, yeah, we're just having a conversation. So I asked him the next day, you know, Hey, is that something you'd want to have a conversation about? He's like, oh my gosh, could we, you know? And it was just like, it, it was just magnetic. There was just a really easy flow of kind of building this team. Once I, you know, people like started being able to articulate what it is I was trying to do and people were interested, they were on board. Um, and one of the things that we look at too, is like resources. And I always had resources meant money. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the things that we study is there's, you know, there's human uh, intangible, intangible resources, which is almost infinite. 
but I still had it like, but that means money. <laughs> but there was actually something that really fabulous was happening was when there's the appropriate person with the appropriate skill set in the appropriate place in the transaction, and all they have to do is stay in their lane. It's actually really enjoyable and fun. And it's really it. fun to watch how the other personalities operate as well. And that was something I hadn't really banked on that people were interested in creating something from the beginning with me, just from the sheer joy of being able to express themselves the way that they'd always wanted to. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll stop here and just make sure if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Sean Gillespie. If you haven't seen his art, you can see it all at soulfulobjects.com. And he's a, a longtime client. Uh, he's fantastic. And we're talking about teams. Now, tell me a little bit more about the members of your team yes. and what their specific roles are and why they're in those roles, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at the top, that subjective inventor type, right? Big ideas, big dreams. Come follow me. Uh, that kind of world. And then uh, Jeff Katie is the next person. And he's more of kind of the sales, logistics, narrative, you know, constructivist kind of personality. Uh, and then down at the kind of the bottom of the transaction is uh, Martha Runette. And she's like all about logistics, infrastructure, scheduling. Like I just do whatever Martha tells me to. Um, and then Kim is the strategic advisor. So she's more skeptical personality and will be happy to you know, poke holes in any idea and save me tons of time and resources and stuff by not letting me run off with every idea that I come up with. So altogether, those people in their particular roles, it, it's just, it's so much fun in a way that I never would have uh, guessed. I never would have guessed that it would be so rewarding and so fun to have things ripped from my hands <laughs> and other people handling them. Cause I just figured that was going to be torture. Cause I just watch people screw everything up. I like all of these things that you're saying, it's so inventory. And I'm like, Oh, that's, so <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how you say that. John would be jumping for joy in the middle of the <laughs> you know, it's, it's intimidating to admit that you don't have the fitness to have a team and then to start to, to try to find it and see who fits and who's going to be worthy of that big old brain of the inventor. Yeah. Um, that's not going to mess it all up. So yeah. tell me about when you let go, what were the results like? Like, how long did it take before you started to see, hey, this is actually working? Or because I know sometimes inventors start to move and measure too quickly. What yeah. was it like for you? Like in, in your experience of once you had the team in place, everyone knew their roles and started acting in their roles. What was that experience like? I would say, let me answer it this way. So initially I was trying to figure out who should be on what calls because I didn't want to waste people's time and have you know have a more you know skeptical personality on the call when we're trying to create something right so i was trying to schedule out and just kind of see who should be on what call and unanimously everybody wanted to be on all the calls <laughs> because it was so incredibly useful to watch how the other personalities move what they come up with um, and then be able to actually have a direct impact on the offer at hand or the subject at hand direct impact immediately with you know their particular contributions everybody wanted to be on all the calls so i would say it was immediate um there the results were immediate and these are highly trained you know wonderful wonderful people uh but you know immediately i, I couldn't avoid the fact the just empirical fact that they were doing things better than i could it was it was undeniable uh, and wow. so you just when you see that you go well 
<laughs> I guess I'll just shut up and let these people do what they're best at. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't talk at all. It's just, you know, it, it would be inappropriate because other things are getting worked through. Yeah. You, you yeah. shared a story in the notes that I, I kind of want you to tell um, because it was that story of sales. And it's not because I have an inventor telling me how to sell. It is because <laughs> it's just fascinating when you have, you know, when you have a, a idea of how it should go and then in comes another person to do your quote unquote sales for you and yeah. you watch how they move. Tell, tell me that story. Tell me what, what you learned through, through having a sales guy that you trusted to, to sure. run the sales. Yeah, well, I was doing a show in Chicago and actually flew Jeff out for, for that, um, or Jeff, you know, Jeff flew out and, you know, and so we just kind of wanted to see how it was going to work because we really didn't know. I mean, it might be a disaster. Um, so we were kind of trying to, to feel it all out. And so, uh, so we got all set up and, you know, everything is, is beautiful. And, and I noticed one of the things that he was doing was uh, he would ask, you know, people that were, that, you know, came to kind of check out the art you know, how their day was going and if they were enjoying the show and, and things like that. And I'm just like, Jeff, don't do that. <laughs> Ask people, you know, if you can answer any questions for them, right? Like we're here to sell art, man. You know, like this is the thing. <laughs> and here's the inventor ego, right? Mm -hmm. Of telling Jeff how to do his thing. And, and he, but he kept doing it to his credit. <laughs> so he kept asking people how their days were and all that stuff. And I noticed that people were actually responding really well to his question. You know, like they would engage with him and, and he would, you know, be finding out about their family and their kids and like all this stuff that I thought was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, it was really working, uh, you know, for the people that he was talking to. And I realized it didn't work for me when I asked how their day was going because I didn't care. I didn't care how their day was going. <laughs> I didn't care if they were enjoying the show. I wanted to answer any questions that they had. And it's not like that was bad. It was just like some people like to deal with that kind of personality and they want that authority of the artist and like they want the information and other people want to talk to a performer and they want to like 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 the person that they're talking to and they want a narrative and they want a story right and so i had it was just another great example of how i was killing you know i don't know 60 percent of my sales you know by just by the math of mm. being the way that i am versus having some other people and giving people some choice and some um some variety in, in, in how they could be approached in, in, in you know, an art sale. Got it. So you, you learned that the different personalities, well, you'd already, you had already been educated on it. Now you knew it because you'd actually experienced and done something with it. Yeah. And I, I imagine back to you, what you said about math, you and I share that like math lexic, like I don't like it. I'm not a fan. The one B I got in my master's program was business math. B plus, by the way, thank you. 3.94. What you find out really quick is that if you have someone who's good at that and they like to do it, it makes it simple. Who on your team does the math for you now? Or how have you, how have you gotten that liability to no longer be a liability for you? Yeah, Martha, like I do the math, but I do it very much kind of in what's useful for me at the moment. Not like how uh, a normal person would want to look at math and, you know, like a, a business person, like a profit and loss statement would make sense to people. I just have a bunch of numbers because I, these are the things that I want to know. And Martha immediately puts it all in just things that make sense. And so now it's not just pretty spreadsheets where I can find the information I need to, but it's actually, you know, my accountant can look at this. My financial person can look at this and, and get the information they need rather than having to have me be there to decode my my bespoke, you know, spreadsheet thing that, that I've come up with because I think it's a good idea. 
Uh, it's just another example of, you know, my idea is not necessarily the best one. It's like, turns out people understand when Martha does it. <laughs> wow. wow. It's, and I know Martha really well, and I'm, I'm sure yeah. she looks to be used that way. And it's, is it, is it, odd, is it odd for an inventor uh, to accept that people want to be used in a certain way? Is it odd that they came up to you? Like, tell me what that's like, the feeling of having someone actually want to help. Um, it is a bit uncomfortable now that you ask it. So it is a bit uncomfortable because like, you know, we have a, you know, a Google doc that's running right for every meeting. And so I, I used to type in and, you know, try to capture a bit of what was happening and stuff. And then I just saw kind of saw Martha in the document, just typing over whatever I was typing <laughs> and making more sense out of it. And, and, and so I, just over time, it was just really easy just to look and go, Oh, what she captured that much better. Like, oh, and oh, she got the action items too. Oh, and she put dates on things like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh, she's got a, a now a task list from the things that we just talked about. It was just so, just so much better in every way that it's just, it really is so easy to step out of the way when there's competent professionals all around you. But I had mostly just found people that were just like me, very subjective artist types, and we'd try to do things together and never get any traction because we didn't have those, you know, those Marthas and those Kims and those Jeffs. It just, it, it was so necessary, but I had no idea before, you know, influential you, how, how incredibly um, lucky I was to do as well as I was doing without the information that, you know, that that study provides. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm going to tell a story on you now. Oh, geez, Josh, no. You're going to love this. This goes back to your story about that guy, Bob, in the office. As a right. sales it better guy. look good. It better look oh, you're going to look great. I'm, okay. I'm watching you install artwork. I'm watching oh, yeah. you do it. Uh -huh. And I'm, I'm observing it from a completely different perspective. Some of it is to impress you. I keep getting on the phones. I won't lie. I do better with other people in the room. That's a performer thing. Love it. But what I loved is you actually took the time to draw on, and it wasn't anything, you know, massive. It was just an, like a finger like this pointing. Yeah. And it said on it, you make calls, Josh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I used that object yeah. for about two, almost two and a half years in the office as a reminder to make my calls, to not think so much, to just make the call and do that. And I wanted to let you know that until my inventor erased it, Kirkland and I love that. And we always looked at it and just, just know the artistry that you have is more than just what you get to show off at the shows. Yeah. It's part of who you are. And that uh, I wanted to let you know that you inspired me. And there are multiple people that I have, I've had be clients that are clients because I made that one more call because of the artwork yeah. you did. Oh, wow. um, does your artwork have meaning like that? Do you get stories like that from people that tell you, Hey, Sean, your woodwork, the, the things that you did here, and like, tell me about what it's like to hear that recognition of the work that you do, knowing that they were able to be a part of it because of your team. Yeah. The, and to kind of even go back to that finger, it's, it's such a perfect little snippet because this was way before I knew that I was really interested in impacting environments. Mm. Uh, and there's something about interrupting kind of the normal and the everyday for people and taking the time to create something beautiful in service of that. And just even that little picture was like uh, in that moment of, of realizing who you were and stuff, you were a contribution to me. And I wanted to be a, like, this was my way to be able to contribute to you was to have this little finger kind of pointing at you. So it would interrupt something like that was the goal of that, of that whole 
of that whole interaction. And but that's what I love doing is tweaking environments so that the thing that's supposed to happen in those environments can actually happen. And it does the heavy lifting for you. So that in a whole environment now was there was a structure that I had put in to you know have you make another call. And so I do the same thing, you know, the, like the artwork behind me and stuff. It's like it's designed to interrupt something for people as they get up, they slog out of bed and then they walk into their hallway and go, holy goodness, you know, today is going to be great. Like, look, you know, today's going to be great. So uh, so it's very much about kind of interrupting that indifference, interrupting that every day and kind of reminding us and reconnecting us to you know, ultimately kind of who we are and why we're really here and what we're really doing, which is easy to miss in kind of, you know, inside Target and (laughs) like all that stuff. Nothing wrong with those environments. They're all pulling for a particular thing, but it's not necessarily pulling for your your, uh, greatness. Wow. And uh, to take it one step further uh, and really kind of hammer this thing home, does it feel less if you know that Jeff Katie sold that piece, or does it feel less like that feeling you just described when someone in your team makes a contribution to allow for that environment to be created by someone? Does it take away anything if you're working with a team? No, it's more. It's more. Tell me why. We had an installation in, um, in Chicago where we, uh, Jeff actually got the experience of being able to go to someone's house and you know, and actually see the reaction of it in the space and watch, you know, the clients like light up when we had the perfect pit, uh, piece in the perfect space. And then she started calling her daughter and FaceTiming her daughter. And then she started calling, you know, like her mom and just like, you got to see this thing. And it was just hit, watching Jeff get that thing that he doesn't get kind of in his, you know, when selling tech, right. He doesn't get to be there and see the difference that it makes, but to see that difference that it made for these people in their lives, like immediately, like right now, it just exponentially uh, increases my love of the whole thing too. So Jeff being there made it even better. And uh, I don't care who's, who sells it. I, you know, it's like, I, I'm super ecstatic to come around the corner and Jeff goes, well, we just sold these six and, so, uh, so wrap them up, Gillespie, you know, like, and I had nothing to do with it. It's unbelievable to me. Like I, I was almost like the first time that happened, it was kind of like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I need to say if this is going to be, you know, so it was that moment of like, well, is this a good set? And, you know, and I looked and, and it was a beautiful set that they had made together. And I was like, well, I just need to get the hell out of the way sometimes because so- it was, it was amazing. I mean, I couldn't have done it better. And he was, you know, in service of me. I was in service of him. We were all in service of this particular transaction that this person has this best set possible. And just everybody leaves bigger and happier and more in touch with why they're, you know, they're here, you know, why they bother to hang a bunch of art on the wall. Wow. Um, now, if, if you haven't heard Sean Gillespie's past podcasts, I invite you to go and find it. Uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. He talks about indifference and it's been helpful to me. In fact, in my music career to see why people just walk by my music and ignore it. So I would highly recommend watching that and and, and listening to it and finding out why people are indifferent and what Sean does about that. Um, And he even gives a a pretty good soapbox speech there. But Sean, that was about four or five years ago. Things have changed a lot. You've you've progressed. You now have a team, which we would say probably moved you to a higher level of influence um, if if you're paying attention to the new levels that we've done. Yeah. I'd love to give you another moment to really give us another soapbox moment, like something in which your world you'd love to share with our listeners. 
maybe an entrepreneur somewhere that doesn't believe in all the things that you're teaching or, or anything like that, what's kind of a soapbox moment for you? Something that we can take away and really apply to our, our day-to-day that you learned? Well, I would say the, the, the most profound thing for me and now for the team is, you know, over the past 20 years, I've really been trying to distinguish what, what made something special. Like there were those, those installations or those projects where uh, it created the most value for the client. We had the most fun uh, and it just went easy. Uh, And it just felt like, you know, everything was just falling into place. And when we looked back, it was really, it was the projects. There was like 10% of the projects that I had worked on that were like that. And it was, it was all because of collaboration and I hadn't really seen that before. And so there was this collaborative piece and it it was a collaborative piece with the space, the people and the objects. And inside of that came this kind of visual vocabulary for a particular environment. It was a branding. It was a, uh, something, you know, something special, a special environment was created. And so from that, uh, we really started looking at, uh, you know, what we could do into the future collaborating. And a lot of what that looks like is we now offer services. So it doesn't have anything to do with an object to begin with. First, we just are collaborating. We're collaborating with architects, uh, developers, uh, art consultants from the very beginning of a project, because that's the place to do it. Otherwise you're left decorating after something's already been built. So really extraordinary environments actually happen at the beginning of the project and the objects are planned at the same time as the architecture is the same time as all of the passions and the commitments of all of the different stakeholders. So we can get all those narratives kind of into the space, into the objects so that it really does become like the love of the project comes through in the space and you just feel it when you're in there. So that mood has been created specifically intentionally on purpose, right? For you to be able to have an experience as soon as you walk into a space. And it's what we call the, you know, the the environment doing the heavy lifting for you. So nobody has to say a word and they're already in the appropriate mood for what you're trying to create. It's really good. And it's fascinating to me as someone who's so, I guess, uh, people-based. I don't really yeah. think about objects or the environment like someone you know may that's, that's focused on those things like you do. And to hear it through an artist's mouth is really a special thing. Um, I'll also say that it's, it's fascinating. I love that John Patterson on a regular basis says things like, you know, don't rely on your willpower, change your environment. You want, yeah. to, you want to get things going, get the environment doing, and that includes the art that we have on the walls. It includes yeah. the um, art that we have on, the, on the, the doorstep. Where is my guitar? Is it sitting in a stand that I can pick up and play, or is it in a box in the corner? Yeah, so it's, it's, I, I love that you're doing all this. Um, thank you so much. I, I think about how much it meant to me to be able to room with you at a conference time <laughs> to glean some of that you know, big brother knowledge that you had from Influential You. Uh, you also brought David Scarpetti, who has become one of my favorite human beings in the entire world. I know. And I have to thank yeah. for that. Um, yeah. So thank you for continuing to be a part of what we do at Influential You. And, and thank you for your story and for sharing it with us today on the podcast. Uh, I so appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, I'm going to move to close. And I, I'm. Oh, if you love Sean's work like I do or you want to see more of it, go to soulfulobjects.com. That's soulfulobjects.com. Dot com And you can find out all about Sean and where he's going to be, where his next art is going to be, and meet him yourself, hopefully. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to InfluentialU.com and explore our courses, 
consulting, and the conferences, all the things that we offer in our four-year curriculum. You are not going to want to miss our next podcast because in our next podcast, we're going to be talking to one of my best friends in the entire world. Before I get there, I'm going to finish this though. We offer a four-year curriculum for those seeking an advanced experience. However, if you're new to Influential U, we recommend that you start with Thrive. It's a self-guided training. Thrive is a self-guided training program that lets you learn at your own pace. Thrive members enjoy weekly live e-coaching sessions, which I'm about to jump on right now with Kim Corbett, and an ever-expanding library of exclusive video lessons with our faculty, thought leaders, and industry experts. You'll get proven proprietary tools to accurately assess your career and develop a realistic strategy to achieve your aims faster. Your membership in Thrive also includes chat and access to faculty plus discounts to our transformative conferences. Sign up today and use the promo code 20OFF, that's 20OFF, for a 20% discount on the new monthly subscription Thrive. That's coupon code 20OFF, 20OFF. Like I was saying a moment ago, next week we are interviewing Jennifer Caldwell. Jennifer is the Chief Development Officer at FoodShare of Ventura County, our local food bank. She'll share with us about how she transacted powerfully through the COVID-19 pandemic to feed Ventura County's food insecure. She's also my best friend, a great radio DJ, so she's going to be a good interview, and she can only hit balls down the third baseline. You won't want to miss this next episode or the inside jokes that ensue. Thank you so much for joining us today. Each week, we live stream at 2 p.m. Pacific on your website, our website, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, so you can easily share it with others. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with our guests, plus links to websites, books, or special downloads we talked about on today's episode. This podcast is made possible by the influential you staff, faculty, and members all around the world. A special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, with contributions from Michael Teehee, Joey Anderley, Daryl Anderley, and Paul West. The Influential You podcast is produced in, by Influence Ecology, LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded on August 17th, 2022. The podcast theme is by Chris Sandring, entitled Fast Trained Everywhere. And if you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment to go to iTunes or your podcast app and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know. We'll see you next week on the Influential You podcast. Thank you.